You're listening to the Water in Real Life podcast, the podcast for people who want to become better leaders by becoming better communicators. Why? Because those who tell the stories rule the world. We're your hosts, the H2 duo, Stephanie Corso and Ariane Shipley. So without further ado, let's get to the show. All right, y'all fasten your seatbelts because this one, I'd... This is going to be great. Get out your notebooks, whatever your note taking app of choices, because we are about to get schooled for real. We are so excited to be joined by Dr. Coy Callison. He's a full professor, a strategic communications researcher in water and other areas, and associate dean for graduate studies in the College of Media and Communications at Texas Tech University. So I don't know if well, Ariane's not in the Big 12 anymore, but uh, I guess we're like kind of enemies a little bit in Big 12. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And, and oh, we're just way better than Texas Tech. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take much here lately in football. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're so excited to to be chatting with you today. And I think, I feel like this is a long time coming. The first time that we ever met was passing on the floor at the water smart innovations conference years ago. I think you were doing a, you had a poster there and we were blown away by the research and the data-driven research around communications that you were doing then. And so I'm so excited to have you with us today and can't wait to get started. Oh, it's great to be here and I appreciate the opportunity. Um, Okay. So Koi, we love kicking off our pods with um, a little origin stories um, and learning about their why. So I want to know uh, why water <laughs> and did water choose, did you choose water or did water choose you? You know, I had to think about that a little bit. Uh, the truth of it is I am native Texan, but more specifically, uh, I'm native West Texan. I grew up on the border near Del Rio uh, in the more arid part of the state with a family that wasn't involved in agriculture necessarily, but we were, we were and still are constantly fishing and hiking and mm-hmm. camping. And, and that typically involves being like, you, you don't go camp like in the middle of a sand dune typically, right? <laughs> so you go, you go somewhere, there's a lake or a river and, and you, in my family in particular, we, we were uh, really into fishing. And so as somebody who grew up, that was constantly recreating around water and watching my father have to constantly move our vacations around because of the lakes that had water or the streams that were low and mm-hmm. where you could launch an inner tube at and where you couldn't. And so it's something I always kept tabs on. Uh, I moved off and did my graduate work in a much wetter part of the country in the Southeast. And when I came back uh, and became a professor here at Texas Tech, here in particular, this is this county, Lubbock County, is the number one cotton producing county in the United States. Mm. And the, it's typically irrigated cotton. And so the water issues here are so much more pressing mm-hmm. than what for me, who is just somebody who was interested in it from a recreation standpoint. Uh, I've raised my children here. I'm married to a person from here. And the idea that the future of West Texas truly is tied to the future of water in West Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a, as a professor and somebody that, uh, that get paid to do research by your tax dollars and other people's tax dollars, I feel it's important to try to answer questions that, and, and help the state out. And so my interest in water evolved from, from somebody who still recreates near water and hopes that there's water to, to put a boat into and to cast a line into, but also to see this part of the state flourish and, and have some future if my children choose to live here. 
uh, it's going to be dependent upon whether there's water resources here for that to be the case. Yeah. I love that. I love, uh, one of our favorite conferences to go to is one called WEFTEC. And some of my favorite things to do there are go to the innovation pavilion and just see the people outside of water who, for whatever reason, whether it's because of some inspiration and whatever work that they were doing to being similar to you and just growing up around it and, and seeing it and witnessing it and just that was your inspiration to do something about it, something that felt like a local problem that you had the skills and talents to, to be a part of. And I, I love those stories equally as much as the people who are, I don't know if there's any traditional paths into our space. I feel like yeah. we're all a little weird. <laughs> well, it, but, just seemed like it, it seemed like it used to rain when I was a kid, right? And then yeah. it, it now it's just something that stays top of mind awareness to me. Uh, and, and again, I'm not a water expert. I'm not a hydrologist. I'm, I don't have an engineering background, but it's a, it's an essential part of who we are as, as West Texans and Texans. And yeah, I'm glad to be in this space, even though I, again, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit of a fraud. I'm, I'm very adept at the water research side. I'm not, I'm not a, a, a great understander of water as it. You don't, need to be. you don't need to be, we yeah. need, we need what you got. And yeah. that is one of the things that you do is help us uh, stop people from just making decisions around communication based on their gut, gut feeling. you yeah. know, and, and I'm a firm believer in intuition. 100% Arians always talking I mean, about I her literally bones. like, yeah, all my life choices are based on my, my bones. Yeah. And, but we don't believe that when it comes to the work that we do and you've experienced some of this firsthand as well. So talk to us about the dangers of making communication or messaging decisions around hunches and why you think that happens all the time. No, that's, that's an interesting question. And really that's the, that's the question that I asked myself back when I was living in Austin uh, in the early 90s and why I ended up in grad school and ended up becoming a researcher is I was working in organizations that were making massive decisions, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars decisions on purchasing single ads, let's say in the New York Times back then, a one-page ad in the New York Times was $200,000 back, 94, 95. And we'd sit in a boardroom and make a decision because somebody had heard a song on the way to work that morning or they'd had a dream or a vision or as Adrian says, her bones were aching that morning or yeah, something, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so it just seemed like this was a really bad idea and that I wasn't going to have much of a future career in that. Um, and, I, and that's what drove me to grad school because I thought this is how you answer. If you don't want to use intuition, then you have to use some type of scientific method that can drive your decision making. And grad school seemed to be the place where I could go learn to collect data, make sense of data. I think it's particularly important or a problem, let's say, in communication because everybody talks, everybody communicates, everybody from the time, whatever, I can't remember when my kids started talking, probably earlier than, than I wish they would have. Um, and so, you know, my example I always give is that no one ever tells an engineer that builds nuclear subs, like, you know what? I don't know anything about this, but let me tell you how a nuclear reactor works uh, underwater, yes. right? Oh, because we all, know, we all know we don't know that stuff. But from communication, everybody says, well, I can form a sentence and I can read a little bit. So what do I need to know about communication? It's something we all inherently do. Mm-hmm. Where we inherently communicate, we inherently communicate poorly, mm-hmm. and we inherently think we're all experts at it, including, you know, me at times. So I always try to speak from data. Um, and so because everybody has this background in it, again, I would never tell 
you know, a bridge builder, how to buttress up a bridge. But people feel very comfortable coming up to me, somebody that has, you know, more training than I should in this area and collected tons of data and tell me why I'm wrong about the way you should communicate a message out or how people adopt messages or behavior based upon messages. Mm -hmm. And I think that some of it, the other thing I would say is there's a, there's a hypothesis in, in communications called the third, third person uh, hypothesis. And the third person, person hypothesis says uh, that all of us think everybody else is influenced by communication, but none of us are like, you know, (laughs) so a movie that is violent, Everybody says, the movie's going to make everybody else violent, but I'm immune to such things, right? So we, mm-hmm. we all feel like, and so I think everybody, I won't say everybody, the data suggests that a good percentage of us um, see other people as susceptible to these sources, these, this propaganda that comes upon us. But those same people will tell you that it never happens to them. Right. And that's that's problematic as well, right? We have to recognize that, you know, each one of us that thinks that is the other person is looking back and pointing their finger at us. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, I mean, just to go down a little rabbit hole for a minute, like <laughs> we recently, um, you know, we're talking about getting on some projects and helping some different cities with their water treatment plants. They're going to build new wastewater water treatment plants. And, and, you know, we're brought in after the fact, after the contracts are already kind of talked about and they're like, well, um, we need you to do this. Here's like a sliver of the budget. And then also, like, so from the engineering perspective, like, they were like, we need you to do this. From the city's perspective, they're like, eh, we don't need that yet. Like, we're, we're, we'll wait till the end. And I'm like, don't wait till the ribbon cutting to bring <laughs> us in because that's way, that's 1,000 steps too late, you know? Yeah. And we find that all the time. And I'm like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Well, I, it's something I could counter. I'll, I'll be brought, I, I do some consulting work on the side outside of just my academic work. And somebody's campaign goes completely haywire. Something happens that the exact opposite where they wanted. They're not successful. And they asked me, can you determine why we weren't successful? And I said, you should have asked me to help you up front. Yeah. We could have saved all this expense. We could have done a small study and test your messaging. And we could have picked the one that was most you know, persuasive, most effective. And instead, now we're going to spend a whole lot of money to find out that you used the wrong one. You already know that. And it's too yeah. late to fix it anyway. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's super common. Our buddy, Larry Schooler gave a really great analogy to that of you could either have your, um, what it, what is it called when you go, God, now I'm going to totally screw up the metaphor (laughs) when you go to get your annual wellness checkups and stuff, like you can do that and be like, take care of yourself all the time and, um, have regular checkups, or you can just do nothing and just end up in the emergency room and think about how much an emergency room visit costs as compared to, um, going to your annual wellness checks that are typically are usually covered or whatever. So I thought that that was a great, a great, um, way to describe what happens so many times is that people just wait to go to the emergency room. And to your point, it's just so much more expensive and so much more ineffective to do it that way. Cause a lot of times the damage is already done with whatever message went awry out there. And so now you not only have to convey the, the right message or the message that works and is effective, but now you also have to like mitigate the damage that took place through the initial message. So and uh, message, message dissemination is oftentimes in any campaign, that's your most expensive part. It's not the message creation. It's me buying ad space. It's me buying sure. billboard space. It's it's the production after the fact. So once you've got the, the, creating the message may be fairly simple. It may be, 
you know, recording somebody giving a talk, whatever, maybe laying out some simple brochure, it's getting full screen printing, mailing it to, you know, 38 million people. That's where your expense is. We could have skipped once that's out there, you've that's lost money. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you could have tested that up front, but and what we do that kind of stuff. We'll mock up an ad, we'll mock up something like this water bill, we'll mock it up and we'll test it. And then before we ever disseminate it and say, hey, this bill is terrible. Don't put these little stickies all over your bill or whatever yeah. it's going to be. And, and we can keep you from printing out a million copies of that <laughs> before. But it's, it's the problem is until someone gets involved with this and we fix it for them, we always fix it the second time, never the first time. Then after that, they may call us back. But yeah. again, going back to our first point, everybody thinks they know what they're doing. And so they do it and then figure out what was wrong. And then maybe in the future we'll be involved. Yeah. Yeah. Prior. Well, you holding up that paper was a great segue into. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to dive a little deeper into the data of communication. So can you tell us um, a little bit about your communication research center and the type of research and experiments that you're doing now? Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's one of the reasons that I've, uh, I've really planted my flag here at Texas Tech and why I've been uh, I've spent 21 years here is because of the resources and the facilities we have. So if you ask the majority of people out there, even in the field that I'm working in, so in strategic com, and you say, talk to us about data collection, almost exclusively, you'll hear people talk about getting data through surveys, maybe getting data through focus groups, maybe doing some interviews. And there's been a lot of theory built on that. And I can tell you, I still do a lot of that type of research work myself because there's some real value in those types of those types of settings. But that falls a little bit short uh, of, of the whole gamut of what can be done. And so the Center, of Communica- Center for Communication Research here, the CCR that we have here at Texas Tech nice. is, uh, that's always funny, right? Because I see you guys laughing because when you say CCR, I know what you're thinking. And Well, yeah. we have, I, I have three CCRs in my life, uh, Cross-Canadian Ragweed, yeah. and CCR Water Quality Reports. So And Creedence Clearwater Revival. Yeah, that's who, that's my, so, my second yeah. <laughs> We actually we actually brought that up when they were naming the center and uh, either people were too old or too dorky or too academically to understand. I would go to school there just to say, (laughs) yeah, because we were laughing about having Fogarty here and doing some research with us or something. So 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 what we can do here, though, we can still do that type of work. And and I'm not going to say I don't do a lot of that type of work because there's a lot of value in it. One thing it's 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 relatively inexpensive and it's super quick to run a survey. I can get data back in a survey quick. But what we also do here and the stuff that I'm proud of and the stuff that I was trained in back at the ICR. So there was the Institute for Communication Research at Alabama. One of the reasons I went there for my PhD work. Ah. And then we did the CCR here is that I can collect measures here on eye tracking. So mm-hmm. your, your gaze, we can see how a person consumes content by, by looking at corneal reflection and gaze patterns. And you've probably seen those heat maps before. And uh, I think I've shown you some before here. Mm-hmm. We can also do uh, moment-to-moment perception analyzation. So that's where we, I'm sure most of uh, most of your listeners and you guys have seen this as well. So think of a debate where you've got Biden and Trump debating whatever it is. I can't remember. It's a lot of screaming. I remember. Literally nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Literally nothing. Uh, and, and you have a panel of participants who are the, the general public back in some lab in Atlanta or something with CNN. And they all have these little dials, right? And they test it and... Uh, as they watch the debate in real time, if they hear something they like, they turn it to the right. If they hear something that they don't like, they turn it to the left. And you see overlaid on the screen in the playback these, what we call the worm, these lines going up and down. And you say, hey, 
25 to 35 year old women had a positive reaction when someone talked about, you know, women's health rights or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And so th that kind of data collection is really interesting because if you think about survey work, where I show you, again, I show you this thing, mm -hmm. and then I ask you after you've seen it, hey, what do you think about that? Mm. That's very akin to me having you eat a, let's say a th three, five course meal at your favorite restaurant there. And then asking you later, what'd you think about the meal? Well, you're going to say, you know, I thought it was good, or I didn't like it, or, you know, I thought this was a good part of the meal. But it's going to be your two things. It's going to be after the fact, and it's going to be your recollection of those moments. Now, imagine if I was able to attach a sensor to you, and I could tell at any given second, as you were putting the mashed potatoes in your mouth, how you reacted then. Then I could go back and watch that video and look at my data and say, at second 27, she had a very adverse reaction. And I can then match that back up and say, second 27 was the Brussels sprouts. We got to pull those Wait off the menu. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> we got to pull those off the menu. We got to up the, our game, our Brussels sprout game or whatever yeah. it's going to be, right? So moment to moment analyzation of content is super effective because one, we're not all that good at remembering things for one thing. Mm -hmm. And and two, we're not all that, um, you know, at the, from moment to moment, I can see exactly what was going well and what was going wrong. Mm. Per, per paragraph, per sentence, per part of the speech. Mm. So I'm really proud of that. We do a lot of really great work with that. I've done some work with farmers here locally uh, regarding their uh, their messaging about water conservation with farmers. And that's been really, really valuable. Um, the The other things we do, though, which maybe a little bit more uh, witchcrafty, I would guess, <laughs> is uh, we do muscle flexation. So galvanic skin response. So we know that muscle in your in your face will flex depending on whether you have a frown reaction or mm. a, a smile reaction, these muscles. And it happens not, not so we're measuring this. These are small electrical impulses that aren't even enough to move your, the corners of your mouth up. Whoa. That's so like, ask, you can, is it like, like, do you have to be like, like, I mean, what if you have resting, you know, resting B face. B face. Yeah. Well, Guilty. <laughs> or like in the case of my husband, his smile is a frown. It is. We get date. We get baseline on that though, so we can control that out because we have okay. we have baseline that you have resting B face, okay. and so okay. then whenever there's a slight firing, so whenever a person has a positive emotional reaction to content, your eyes will narrow a little bit, so you'll have muscle reaction mm -hmm. here. You'll have a slight a slight grin. These are all, if I was to watch you, you wouldn't see like it right now. This, this dumb face <laughs> I have right now. But if it, you know, I can measure those at, at super low levels. And so imagine just reading, and this is going to sound corny, but imagine reading your water bill and seeing that you had used less water than your neighbor. Mm. You're probably not going to break out in a big smile. I mean, you might, <laughs> I, I don't know, but you'll have slight reactions. the eyebrow a little bit and be like, oh, okay. Yeah. So a slight reaction. So we can measure that's emotional reaction. But we can also measure through heart rate when you actually pay specific in tuned attention to content. So that's the one that I'm really interested in. So uh, imagine anybody on this podcast, me watching a an advertisement for Popeye's chicken after this, whatever it may be. Whenever a person actually starts to think about a message. So if I tell you that 27% of all water used in the city of Lubbock comes from surrounding lakes and the remaining 73% comes from groundwater. If a person's really thinking about that, their heart rate will slow. Now it's not enough that you're gonna do the Fred Sampert and think that you're having the big one, right? It's not, it's not one of those kind of like, oh, you're not gonna feel it. We're talking about 
literal, you know, more pieces of a second of slowing down for mm-hmm. just maybe even a second or two, because mm-hmm. your body can only allocate so many resources to your functioning. So normally your body's allocating resources to your system of keeping you alive through your heart rate. But whenever your body says, Hey, you got to think about this. This is important. Are you deem it important? Your heart, your body will send your resources away from your heart to your brain. And when it does that, your heart's got to slow down because you only have so many resources. So we've borrowed some here to go to your brain. So it's going to slow. So what we can do with that is I can have a person look at it, watch a message, read it, read some content, listen to some content, uh, view some content, and imagine, let's say, a three-minute video news release on the importance of installing low-flow appliances in your home to, for water conservation. I can tell you what moments people are actually engaged in that content cognitively or that they're not at all. And, and if there's something in particular that people really like these types of this type of data because we saw heart rate slow, then we know that data is engaging we can make sure we put more of that back in your message, right? So we can power pack your message if we know when you smile, when you frown, when your heart rate slows. And those those are the kind of things you just can't go do at the Holiday Inn in a focus group room, right? I mean, you have to have equipment. I'm going to be honest. You lost me at Popeye's and all I've been able to think about for the last few minutes is fried chicken. <laughs> yeah. So your heart rate has been slowed as you've been, yeah. you know, as you've been thinking about fried chicken. So, mm. and those are really good chicken sandwiches. I had one just a couple of days ago. So I, <laughs> uh, I have to fall in line with the, the prevailing public opinion right now that that's a really good spicy chicken sandwich. But that being the case, so, you know, you have to come into the lab. What we've been able to do here is it's, it's um, there's, there's very few places you can do this type of work. Uh, very few. Uh, historically, it's kind of been us in a place overseas. There's been a few more labs to come along. Um, but we've now upgraded our equipment that I can put that stuff in a big suitcase and I can take it on the airplane and we can take it with us. We've done research with the Rice Growers Association in Arkansas. We've done research with uh, the uh, USGA in Denver. We can take this stuff with us and put it on a plane, go somewhere, collect data instead of being stuck here in the lab. The final thing we have here that I'll talk about, we have a lot of other uh, equipment and, and you can go to our website and look it all up. Um, but we also have uh, what's what's in basically an apartment in this, we built in the building where we can have people come in, like a family come in and watch, let's say, you know, a family show together and we can have them interact with media content and we can mm. have them not in a lab setting because that's one of the things we get criticized for, right? As a research part, researcher, they said, yeah, but you had people in a lab with eye tracking equipment and electrodes stuck in their ear. Like, that's not really real. Hey, that's a that's a fair criticism. So we built an apartment with better furniture than I have at my house with nice TVs. And, and you can come in with your kid and you can watch, let's say, Daniel Tiger. And we can see how you interact when the kid looks at the parent and says, hey, explain that to me. I didn't understand that joke or whatever else it may be. So we can collect data in a real world, real life setting. So it's, it's really uh, some really cutting edge stuff that tries to help us get a good understanding. Yeah, that's amazing. I I think I need to like go move there for a little bit. That's the only reason I would go to Texas Tech, okay? <laughs> well, I think that we definitely need to go down and just uh, get a tour of your facility. And I don't know, you can conduct some experiments on. I, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have I actually have some mobile uh, eye tracking goggles, so we can put you, we, we, we can put you in a headset. And we there can you have go. you walk around. Uh, those things are a huge pain in the butt, but it's really dangerous. Yeah, put people in the like a grocery store. Imagine someone 
wearing a set of goggles going to a grocery store and we can tell yeah. you exactly what part of the shelves you look at what advertisements you notice at the yeah. water conference i was thinking about it the other day that these, these academic conferences you guys just came back from one people got yeah, we, signage everywhere right you should have put those on us at weft tech we would have yep. been oh, for that yeah yes and, and what's and crazy, then that's data that they can use all these vendors can use to yep. They don't need a sign it sign here. They need one here, you know, or maybe none at all. And, and what are people looking at? And what's crazy? Because I I test myself all the time. I run myself through the lab, you know, it's calibration, <laughs> and and I'm always shocked at the stuff that I would tell you. This is what I looked at, and then I'll look at my data and be like, <laughs> I didn't look at any of the stuff I just thought I looked at. Right? <laughs> yeah. it, it, it happens at a level. The way we consume content, our mm-hmm. eyes are constantly moving, and it's not something that if I were to ask you, what were you paying attention to? You're not very good at really having the appropriate answer. So survey data, when you say, what a part of this message do you remember? It's very different than if I test you and find out what the actual answer is, because we're not really good at recalling that stuff. Mm -hmm. So is there something to be said, like I'm going about kind of the dissonance between what you just said there. So you, the gap between what you remembered and what you recalled versus what your brain, like what happened to that? If you, if it wasn't there for you to recall, what was it about that that caught your attention, but your brain was just like, nah. That's, that's there's lots of good questions. In that's that, the right? million so, dollar question. <laughs> so information storage is, is, is really interesting. So your brain, your short-term memory literally is stored on the surface of your brain, the superficial surface, and it will begin to sink in. But you, we don't have the resources to constantly let everything sink in. Yeah. Because I mean, you, for one thing, you would have to eat like twenty billion calories a day. To you would go insane. <laughs> yeah. So the, the brain has to constantly be wiping away, saying that was you saw a bird fly by. That's got it. You got to let that go. Don't let that. You know, don't focus on that because you're driving your car. Don't hit the car in front of you, right? And so, what is it that makes something move from that storage on the surface to move down? Yeah. And I mean, we test those kind of things. Like, how come I can remember that Mariah Carey's 19th greatest hit is All I Want for Christmas is You? You know, like, like those, like, random facts. But you forgot your own phone number, right? But I cannot tell you. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know who I just hung out with for four days. Yeah. Yeah, And 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 that's why what what I do, we, we use all these measures in conjunction, right? So just because you're looking at something doesn't on eye tracking doesn't mean you're really focusing on it. We do that all day long. I look at the ceiling when I'm thinking about something else, right? So that doesn't mean I'm really thinking about that ceiling tile. Uh, just because I have paid some, allocated some resources to this thing doesn't mean I'm going to remember it later. So what we will commonly do is take all those measures simultaneously. So I might be taking eye tracking measures. And after you've looked at your water bill and done eye tracking, I might ask you, which is what I did two weeks ago. Here's what you looked at. What do you remember? And People basically forgot 60% of what they looked at 20 seconds ago. I know they looked at it. I got their data. I know you yeah. looked at it. And I yeah. said, what were you looking at? And they say, a water bill. And I said, no, no, I know that. What, what were you looking at? What, what data did, were you given? And they'll be like, uh, people use water? And I'm like, yeah, that's not what you were looking at. You were lucky looking at this thing. Uh, and so we know that people forget. And so, you know, if you use all this in conjunction, you can continually move closer to big T truth. but I don't know that we're ever going to like land on it squarely. Yeah. Where the water bill is definitely a good, uh, a good example of places where I feel like we try to pack in information or educational content or, or things like that. But I mean, you've, 
you spoke, you speak at places like water smart innovation. So I know it's not just that. And you talk to a lot of people, water people who I'm sure have plenty of questions, even do research projects with them. So what's the biggest misstep you think that people who communicate about water are making? You know, on the whole, if I had to say the biggest misstep, and I think it's, uh, it it's goes back in time forever, but I think it's easier because of our ability to Google something, mm. is we just go look at what other people are doing. Mm. And the assumption is if somebody else's, you know, advertisement or, or message for water conservation showed uh, a dried up lake, that must be a good message. So we take these shortcuts because the assumption is everybody else's is good. So I want mine to be good too. The truth of it is they didn't have data either and they were screwing up and now you're screwing up because you followed them. <laughs> um, so I, I think, I think that, that in particular, and then I think people just be thinking, being clever. So, you know, there's a, I see this in my own students, especially with undergrads who think that, you know, a clever joke or a clever phrase or a clever, some clever content, um, you know, would drive behavior. Mm-hmm. I, I always use the example and, and I don't want to get in trouble for this, but, you know, every year in the Super Bowl. They do um, they do a follow up ad study right to see what people remember, and almost inherently and almost every time, the Pepsi ads are like the ones people remember. Except I never see anybody drink a damn nasty Pepsi, right? So <laughs> drinks uh, that yeah. <laughs> drinks that swill, right? Yeah. So Pepsi's <laughs> always got these clever, funny ads, and everybody says, "Oh yeah, the, my favorite ad last night was the Pepsi." What do you drink, Pepsi? Oh no, I drink Coke. You know, or so you have to be careful there. I mean, we're as a messenger, my job is not to be entertaining, right? As, as a strategic communicator, if people, everybody remembers my ad about conserving water, but nobody conserves water, I've done nothing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've won the Grammy or the Emmy or whatever, the Addy, but that's not the goal. So I think you have to be, you have to be careful there. Um, and then the thing that we, what I think the future of in the last five or six years, maybe last 10 years of communication research what it set us up and it's made, it's made our life more difficult than, than it should be is that there used to be this idea that you could produce these big messages that work for everybody. And that's what we all want. We want to, we want to create one piece of content that we pump out through television commercial, or we put in their water bill and it speaks to everybody, men, women, Democrats, Republicans, uh, you know, educated people, uneducated people. Mm -hmm. And increasingly what we know is certain messages work at certain times with certain people which is almost like paralysis then from the communicator standpoint, because you have to get so granular on who is getting what. And that's where I think researching like your zip codes in your area and knowing this zip code has these type of people. So I'm going to send them a very different looking message than the people who live in that zip code, but it's complicated. Yeah. I'm so glad you touched on that because we preach about that all the time with, Mm -hmm. you know, audience, 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 and, and the focus and everything that we do should actually be based on what they want and the data that we know about them or, you know, taking it a step further and the data that we can get from folks who do work like you do. But um, when you started with so much, so many of in water, our communication comes around what other people are doing or what has worked for other folks. And, you know, I think about that with a lot of the the groups or committees that we were a part of. And that was a significant part of the time that we spent with them was just kind of sharing all of our, all of the things that we're doing and, and what's worked from that. And so I think that not to say that there's not 
value and getting inspiration from what other people are doing. But I think that it has to be a yes. And a yes. And does this work for my community or what research do I need to do about my community to know how I could make something similar work? And, and convincing people to just move away from their norm. I, I, just two weeks ago, I was, I was literally in this water conference in Vegas where I met you guys years ago. And I had so many people come up and look at my eye tracking study on, uh, cause it was a poster with the, you know, I had a video playing of this, uh, of a water bill. And I can't tell you the number of people who, who said, wow, this is fascinating. They're not looking at any of the stuff that I thought they would look at. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, do you produce water bills? Oh yeah, I'm in charge of the water bill. I said, well, you know, what's what's the takeaway here? And they said, oh, we're not gonna change our water bill. It's really effective the way it is. And, and I'm like, and you just told me, like literally <laughs> you just told me, well, they don't look at anything I think they look at. And when I say, well, what are you gonna do differently? They say, oh, we're not changing anything. Ours is really effective. Those other, it's the third person. Other people's water bills suck. Yeah. yeah ours, is, and, ours is freaking great. I'm like, they oh. get into immediately like, that's a third party vendor that just created that. Cause that's what it is a lot of times. And oh, wow. we can't even change this. Like it's a whole citywide freaking, you know, change out to change this. It'll bring in all these departments. So yeah, I can see them writing out office being like, Oh no, 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 no. We're not going to do all that. <laughs> yeah. Your water bill sucks. Ours is great. Yeah, ours right? is fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Even though every one of them freaking suck. Yeah. Or every one of them, people are looking at, you know, yeah. The line, what do I owe? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's what, you know, that's what we found. And, and I'm not going to back up. And I told people there at the conference that I said, look, we, I can tell you, they look directly what they owe. And that's not a problem. And, and, and don't shrink from that. But what you can't do is use your water bill. Like you're seeing my water bill here in Lubbock has turned into four and five pages mm-hmm. with four and a half of the pages being like some message about <laughs> shrubbery and zero scaping and a roadrunner picture and all this. I'm like, well, just save all the money on those four and a half pages. Put that $300,000 towards actually like going and zero scaping the mayor's backyard. You've just saved more water than you're going to save by all these other things. Just no, nobody looks at it, including me. That's the reason I did this study. I, I, every month my water bill comes in and I don't even open the whole envelope. I just open it far enough to see what I owe. Mm-hmm. If that number seems like a number that's like, eh, it's close enough. I throw the damn thing in the trash because it's yep. auto drafted. I don't even open the yep. damn thing. Yep. So it's it's crazy. And when you talk to people at the city, they will tell you the same thing. They'll say, "Oh no, yeah, nobody opens it." And but this is our primary means of communication. What? But here's the here's where I want I don't want people to go. Okay, so you're saying we shouldn't do utility bill inserts? No, we're not saying that at all. We're saying do the research to see if they're effective or not. The good ones. How about that? You know? Yeah. So that's where I, I, people get caught up in this. Yes or no. Yes, we'll do it. Or no, we won't do it anymore. And I'm like, no, no, no. Where's the data? Either way, where's the data to back that up? That decision, whether you're doing it or not. That's that's the key. Okay. Okay, Koi. So what are some of your favorite outcomes or discoveries you've uncovered in the past few years? You know, that's that's probably my favorite part of collecting data on this kind of topic or anything else is uh, because as much as I talk about not having intuition and not not being intuitive or I'm, I'll always try to predict what I'm going to find, right? And theory gives us some idea what we should find, but I always have this idea of what things are going to look like. And when we get the data back and it kind of blows our own mind, nice. those are kind of my favorite moments in this. And we get we get some of that. And I'll tell you that uh, this may be uh, laying bare the heart a little too much, but when I first got into this water research, I was specifically interested in 
agricultural water usage when I started because, you know, here in the, in the South Plains, the Ogallala Aquifer, roughly 90% of the usage of the aquifer is for irrigating crops. And so it's an agricultural issue. It impacts all of us, but the conservation is really going to need to be agricultural focused. And mm -hmm. I, I was I was nervous about going in to speak with farmers and the farmers, the the farmers telling me, you know what, this isn't an issue. You know, we don't believe in this, we don't believe in climate change, and we don't believe in in you know global changes in in uh, in rainfall, whatever. And, and this is just another professor coming in and telling us what to do and get out of here. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite things, in which, and again, it's, it's, it sounds a little bit counter, but also maybe a little bit sad, was my first meetings with farmers. I saw people, I saw in their eyes. I mean, they were, they're scared to death about this. Yeah. These are people mm -hmm. who have been out here, you know, in, in some cases have been their grandfathers, their fathers. Now this person is in his seventies and he's a farmer and he's watched his water resources deplenish and deplenish. Mm -hmm. His, his grandfather was able to pass on a very successful farm to his father. His father passed one on to him. And you see these farmers saying, I don't think I can pass this on to my children. And it's not only passing on, you know, that business, but it's passing on a way of life, right? The, yeah, the farmers sure. see that as a, it's a calling, right? And so uh, I immediately felt much more, I guess, at ease and also much more invested in trying to help because it yeah. was just... You saw this as like this emotional distraught group. So that, I guess you want to call that interview data off the bat, really kind of, really kind of uh, caught me off guard. Some things that we have found though, that, that have been, um, let's say the most interesting stuff that we found recently. Uh, in particular, if you look at water messaging as it comes from like the USDA, if you look at water messaging, it comes from a lot of a lot of water districts. There's lots of data generally. There's graphs, there's numbers, they're showing percentage decrease. We have found that people hate that. So the most commonly thing, most commonly used item in persuading somebody is to show like some graph of some water and how it's just plummeting. And look, if it continues to go, we will go to zero. The thing that's been most effective in dealing with those audiences is having what we call exemplars, personal stories. Mm. So where, a, where another person tells them I'm like you and this is how this is impacting me. Mm -hmm. So what's what's in research terms called exemplars. So an exemplar as opposed to base rate. So base rate data is all those numbers and stuff. And those are what everybody uses. I tell every group I work for, you you have three page brochure with 17 graphs on it and 17 sets of numbers and percentages. You can have a little bit of that. But the thing that I see engagement, I hate I see slowing of heart rate. I see people thinking about content it's when some farmer comes on or a homeowner and says, this is how it's impacting me and we all have to work together or whatever it may be. So, so the counterintuitive nature of people don't want data driven, you know, let's say numbers when you're talking about this very scientific laden topic, they want to see how it's impacting each one of us. And that's, that makes some sense though, right? That doesn't surprise anybody. Yeah. I'm sure I'm looking at your faces. You're not surprised, yeah. but it's yeah. not the way we typically communicate this. Yeah. We want, you need stories. You need stories. So narrative stories, um, something that I thought was super interesting uh, on the on a study we did on craft beer. So I, I mentioned before craft beer is a, a side interest of mine and I was able to dovetail yeah. it because of, uh, yeah, who's not interested in beer, right? Um, is that beer, beer brewing is a water intensive enterprise. It takes about seven gallons of water to make a gallon of beer. And so uh, places that brew beer, 
uh, oftentimes are you know are are overly taxing water resources either either the natural water resources or maybe maybe the city water resources and so how can how can beer craft breweries interject themselves into that space and not be seen as you know robber barons in the environment when craft beer drinkers typically have demographic and sociographic characteristics that that would be counter to right so you think of the, the I don't want to think of the prototypical craft beer drinker because but I, we all know we have what I have in mind, right? Like a, <laughs> like a little bit of a hipster. It's not cop, you, right? Ariane. Ariane <laughs> raised her hand. <laughs> uh, and, and so what we have found was that craft beer drinkers, when we gave them messaging that showed that a craft craft brewery was using different types of water conservation methods, so like water offsets or reclaimed water, mm-hmm. that they were more likely to purchase beer from a brewer that was doing that but the most interesting thing was they were more likely to they were willing to pay more money for that beer Mm. and so as a from my perspective as as somebody who does a little bit of consulting with craft breweries i was able to say look it's important for you to message out that you are being water conscious and the craft brewer as soon as they say yeah we want to do that but it's going to be expensive i say yes it's going to be expensive but you can pass those costs on without detriment because the, yeah, the, yeah. the craft brewer is going to say, I know this is 50 cents more than that one for this six pack, but I'm going to pay it because it's important. Yeah, and to it's me, a donation to the environment and mm-hmm. it's two birds, one stone. I get yep. drunk and save the planet. <laughs> Everybody wins, right? Everybody so, wins. So I, I like that finding because it, it, it gave craft brewers maybe the, you know, the, the positive reinforcement that this was, it's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, sometimes the right thing to do is too expensive to do, right? It, it's going to undermine your business. Yeah. Craft brewers work on like razor thin margins. Yeah. And so when I say, Hey, you need to do this, but it's going to cost you 500,000 a year. They're like, well, we're out of business. So I can't do it. But yeah. if you can say, look, you can do this. It's important. It's important to you. Craft, I mean, these, these brewers are, they see it as important. Their customers see it important and they're willing to help you fund this. Yeah. So I thought that was a really great positive finding that, hey, we're all willing to pitch in a little bit. Uh, something that was that's pretty interesting that we've been looking into is what you call a temporal frame. So uh, if you frame something as, hey, you need to save water because it's important for now, mm-hmm. or you need to save water because it's important for the future, right? So you see these mm-hmm. kind of messages all the time. So mm-hmm. it's what's called like proximics of time. Is it is it proximate in time to you now? Like saving water is important for you, or saving water is important for your kids' kids. Those are very different messaging. Yeah. You see, you see a little bit of both. There's also what's uh, what we call like a, you know positive messaging versus the the doom and gloom messaging. Mm-hmm. So we did a study. Uh, Matt Van Dyke, who's at Alabama, and Derek uh, Derek Holland, who's one of my PhD students, who's at Tennessee. We did a study where we looked at okay, what if you mix those two: future messaging versus current messaging, mm-hmm. and doom messaging versus. So that's like saying okay, if we don't save future, we're all going to run out of water and we're all going to die. That's the negative way of framing it, right? That's the doom. Or you can say the positive. Hey, if we do save water, we'll have more waters in our lakes and we can go fishing, right? So you get, that's, so there's a positive or this negative. Mm-hmm. And what we found is if you do a current message for today, you should always use the positive. Mm. So save water for today so that you can go fishing this afternoon. Yeah. Got it. All right. But if you do future messages, you got to say, it's more effective to say, if you don't save water in the future, we're all going to die. Gotcha. <laughs> And, and I don't have the reason behind that other than what it seems to be is that, and, and 
you've seen some of this with some past uh, messaging in, in science, is if you tell people, if you don't save water today, we're all going to die tomorrow, and you wake up tomorrow, we're not all dead. Yeah. People say, oh, those guys were full of yeah. shit. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. So then they start, they don't trust you anymore. Yeah. Right? So you, you can't be too gloomy and say, we're all going to be, you know, we're all going to be in, in, in deep trouble tomorrow. The water's not going to come out of your faucet because when it comes out, they're like, hey, those guys are up to no good. That didn't happen. Yeah. So yeah, I remember when the messaging was like by 2030. And now I'm like, well, shit, that's around the corner. We better get on this. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say those are some of the stuff we're working on. The the, yeah. the last thing that I talked to about uh, in Vegas is, is something I'm really excited about is, uh, and, and I'll be brief with this, but, uh, and I, and I've just got a little bit of data, so I don't want to speak beyond the data. I just want to say that we're inclined to think this might be something to really investigate going forward. So there's all types of appeals in water messaging uh, or any types of messaging for, for persuasion, whether it's trying to get people to quit smoking or lose weight or read more to their kids. It all kind of falls in the same realm of strategic communication with some positive outcome. And the messaging has generally been based on stuff like what do your neighbors do? How do you, do you feel like you're fitting in properly? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have some obligation for the norms of your social group? those kind of things. And and there's theory of pan behavior, theory of reason to action that have been around forever that have been trying to help people build their messages. It's come up recently that maybe there's, instead of just these appeals about these referent groups, what about your own moral obligations? Is sure. Can you can you appeal to someone's moral kind of being? And it hasn't been looked at a whole lot. Like, do we have, if, if someone has a moral obligation, are they more likely to say, you know what, I know my referent groups, they don't, they don't think that conserving water is important at all, but I, maybe some moral part of me feels like I need to. So we ran, we ran a study just a couple of weeks ago. This was uh, literally within the last fresh. month. We collected, yeah, fresh, fresh. This is like fresh off the, fresh off the vine. Uh, fresh we ran off a study, the press. You know, and, and we, haven't ta- we haven't published this yet. We're, we're making, in fact, I have a meeting about it tomorrow. Um, we, we surveyed people from all over the U.S., collected this data, and found out that not, not only did moral pills Wait, bust out your presentation. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna screen share for a second. Hold on a sec. Let me get this ready. Oh, he's not screen sharing. He's just oh no, no, no. <laughs> this right is, yeah, there you go. Screen share. So, there you so go. in the past, these things all were thought to predict behavior. Well, we wanted to find out if this thing down here, moral appeals, had any influence on behavioral intention, which in fixed behavior. So just. We just we were just hoping this thing had some small influence. Like, does moral appeal doesn't have any influence? Next slide, please. What we found <laughs> out was not only did moral appeals have influence, but they were the biggest ones. Not only did they have a little bit, but they were the big one. And we were just hoping they showed up as like, oh, a small piece. Like, if you put a little bit yeah. of salt in your hamburger, people will like it a little bit more. We found out that salt was the number one thing people wanted. Yeah, really. Well, and so yeah. that that really starts to change the way we put together water messaging. We're kind of all driven by our mor- our morals, huh? Yeah. yeah. Right, so so here's a here's a typical water message from the past. Yes. Save money, save water, right? Yeah. And that this isn't a this is a financial appeal. Mm-hmm. Here's one I'm mocked up, and I'm not a I'm not a layout expert, so anybody watching this don't. Oh boy, don't show Mike. But you see here that I've got something like it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Save water for your children. So this this is a water message that has the moral appeals. Yeah. And now what the plan is, we haven't done this yet, is to test this message versus this mm-hmm. and see what the data comes back like. Because Ooh, that changes be things a little bit. Two. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much of water messaging, so much of it is based on the financial appeal, right? I see yeah. it over and over again. Save water. Every time you save a drop of water, you can, you know, you can be able to buy a VCR. Well, there's no such thing as VCRs anymore. You can buy <laughs> your Netflix prescription uh, subscription to, you know, you can now watch I can more. Get, now I can get Disney Plus and Netflix and HBO. Yeah. And so uh, financial appeals, I think, uh, you know, we're now thinking maybe maybe some moral appeals could sneak in there. And it really, you think, well, that, that makes sense. Why haven't we been doing that before? Because mm-hmm. it hasn't been tested before. So yeah, tested. a lot of the stuff that we do, I learned this in grad school. We're not, we're not, we're trying to provide data to support some common sense. Mm-hmm. Right? So some of it's common sense, but now I've got data to say, this makes sense. Let's do it. And here's the data why I think it's going to work because it's not intuition. We got the data to show you yeah. that it has some value. Hmm. Something that I would be interested to see too, is what kind of um, moral future thinking uh, message would resonate for people. Cause there's so many people now who are not having children. And so like, I I feel like the message always goes to for your kids, to your grandkids. So what about this audience of folks, this growing audience of folks who are choosing not to have children? What is that message thinking forward in the future that is going to resonate with them? Is it no more polar bears? Is it no more, um, uh, you know, I, I forgot who came out with this, um, these, images of how parts of the country were going to look different in like mm-hmm. 20, 50 or 60 or something because of climate change and how the, the environments are drastically different from, from how we know them now. And then, so maybe it's something like that, like the, the lake or whatever you like to go see every summer is going to be gone and replaced by, I don't know, I don't remember the picture, but I would be interested to know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just this morning, I was, uh, I read it was actually on Reddit. I hate to admit that I was on Reddit this morning, but I was on Reddit this morning. And there was a there was a post or a thread about things, you know, name something you don't like to admit to. And so I, I'm like, hey, that's interesting. Like, what? I can think of all the stuff that I wouldn't want to admit to. And so I start reading to see if anybody else is a freak like me, right? So I start reading this. And um, one of the first ones was somebody saying, I just don't care about climate change because I'm not going to have any kids. And I really after my years in this earth are over, I don't really care if it just like turns into a fiery ball. Oh explodes. My God. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, well, that's a good one to put it. It was things you shouldn't admit to because that's really, <laughs> that's yeah. really a, a cynical approach. But like you said, Stephanie, I mean, that's uh, it. Maybe it's not because you're right. So much of the future stuff is always aimed at, you know, preserve it for your children. But increasingly we know that people are having fewer and fewer children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what is it, is it just that, you know, the, uh, you know, are are you into you know animals? Are you into the, like you said the polar bears? And you said, you know plants. what? what? <laughs> house plants. You got to water I your can plant. name like five people right now that have a new house plant hobby. Come on, now they're really into it. <laughs> and those are all things that you run through the lab, right? Those are that's a great example of something you would message and test yeah. here. As we'd create future messages with you know children, polar bear, house plants. And we would find out which one of those appeals. God, yes, please. And why is Aaron such a freak about weird things like that, right? So <laughs> what, what makes her that person that needs a houseplant message? Um, and that's the, that's the very kind of stuff that we test. I thought you were just having like a random outburst moment, just like houseplants, like just, you know. <laughs> she's legit. She's yeah. aware what's going to happen to her houseplant. When but she's- honestly, that's a whole, there's a whole like. There houseplant a, TikTok world. Yeah, and there's a whole big movie. I have a lot of friends that got into houseplants because they, they don't want children. 
Um, and they already have enough pets. They have a cat and a dog or whatever. And then they're like, houseplants. Talk to my babies. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, thank you so much for, for all of this. This is amazing. We could talk for, you know, for the rest of the afternoon oh, going sure. into uh, dinner, happy hour dinner and all that. But um, being mindful of time and you've been so generous. But we do have a lightning round that we want to end with. And um, we're going to keep it as lightning as we can because we, we want to be mindful of your time as well. And so just as a, why are you asking me these random questions? So all of these questions are connected to one of our core values, uh, okay. one of our rogue core values. And so that's that was kind of the genesis. And also um, Brene Brown does this and I'm a huge fan of her. So, you know, I sold, I stole it. Um, but anyways, I'm going to let Ariane kick off the lightning round. Okay. So... First gut answer. Yeah. Use your gut. Uh, (laughs) First data driven, first data driven (laughs) answer. Name a moment that you felt most authentically you. Okay. That's interesting. uh, Because I'm, I'm a lot of guys to a lot of people. Um, He's like on Reddit this morning. Yeah. on Reddit this (laughs) You know, just this summer. So I I teach a class in, uh, in ecotourism and and nice. eco marketing and so I took a group yeah. of master students down to Costa Rica because yes. Costa Rica Costa Rica is really they kind of have this niche right of being eco tourism oh yeah and um, my my youngest daughter who is a freshman in high school was able to go with me we down there we do the class here in Lubbock and then we go for a week down there and then come back and uh, the, the these these are a lot of kids who haven't traveled they haven't been out of the U S maybe not mm-hmm. some of them have out of Texas. And so they're, they're, they're just blown away. We get on it. We land in Costa Rica. We jump on a bus out of San Jose and drive, you know, to a resort city on the, on the Pacific coast. And uh, it's pouring down rain because the summertime is the rainy season in Costa Rica mm-hmm. about four o'clock to about seven o'clock every day. It's just a freaking torrential downpour. Mm-hmm. And so we run up under some, some, some thatched roofed bar which is like, there's, thank God for thatch roof bars, right? Because we run up under a place out of the rain and they just happen to have like beer and fruity drinks. So we sit down and I see these students and we've been talking for a couple of weeks here in Lubbock about, you know, why I think ecotourism is important and why kind of the, kind of save the, save the earth kind of discussions. Mm -hmm. And you see people and there's monkeys in the trees and it's beautiful and the sun's setting over there. And, and I'm able to say like, this is what I'm talking about. Like we, this what do we do to make sure this place exists in a few years from now? Mm-hmm. And that was really the first time I'd had my daughter with me. And I can tell you, it was a, it was a really special moment for me because in one moment I felt like a teacher. And then I see my daughter who's never seen me. She still doesn't understand. Like, what, you what do, do you teach? You don't know anything, dad. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I see her like thinking about that too. And then I, you know, it's a moment to really feel like a global citizen, right? I mean, I I love that feeling about being like, we're bigger than who we think we are and we can do this. And maybe that's me all wrapped together in one is a a professor, a dad, this, this person who's not just a Texan, but is somebody that lives on this orb. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really, really cool moments. And one of the reasons I love this job. Mm. Love it. Um, So we have also Costa Rica is, one of the most magical places on earth. So if you've never been there, you got to go. So we have quite a few fill in the blank responses. So I'm so glad I met blank this year. You know, I meet lots of people. Um, Something I've been focusing on the the last little bit 
is I feel like I get insulated in this crowd of people that do academics and do research and and I get really frustrated with people that don't think the way I think. And right now the world's full of like people I don't understand, right? I mean, I just don't, I don't get, I don't get, that's why I want to go back to Costa Rica. I just get away from it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So in the, in, the, in, the, in the last year, I'm going to just give you one name. Uh, it's, a, it's a person who I've become friends with over the last year, a guy named uh, David Cat Hayes, who's just a, he's a, he's a person here in Lubbock. Uh, he worked for here for Texas Tech. Uh, at the physical plant for a while. Now he owns a, works in a business here in, in town. Not a, not a professor, not an academic. And somebody that, you know, I would see driving in his pickup past me on and just think that guy's is not me. Um, several years younger than me. I, I know him through my wife. He's a, he's the husband of my, of one of my, my wife's friends. And he and I have a little bit different views of the world, but we, we make it a point to just have civil conversations. That's cool. Yeah. And, you know what, I, I'm, I'm having to always remind myself that, you know what, the world's a good place. We're going to make it and there's full of good people. And you start to, I start to really get bad about trying to isolate myself and say, well, I'm this and they're that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he is, he is a uh, smart, he's well-read, he's intelligent, he's caring. Uh, he's a, he's a great, you know, he, 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 he thinks about other people before he thinks of himself. Mm-hmm. And it's just reminded me that, you know, we're not all that unique in that and, and we shouldn't paint people too much and with, with brushes. I feel so fortunate to like, he came over uh, this weekend, we get a beer and we just stand at my, you know, at my bar at the house and kitchen and he might mention some book he's read. And I think, you know, me and this guy are, are the same, are the same guy. And I, I got to remember that it's not everybody versus everybody. Yeah. Everybody just wants the same thing. They want to go home and be safe tonight. They want to wake up tomorrow to a world where they're going to have a job and they're going to be able to provide for their family. They want to, you know, enrich their own personal life by travel and books. And we got to get past this, that you're blue and I'm red or, and so I I think he's been good for me because I feel like I, I feel like me. And I think a lot of people do is we, this internet and the way we all communicate anymore, you can, you can find people just like you and just hang out with your own little group if you want to. Yeah. Right? Cause used to be, you had to go to the park and like with your dog and other people were there. Now I'll play with my dog. That's an online dog. And I only go to the people who are balding in their forties <laughs> yeah. professors. Right. Cause exactly. you can do that now. Yep. So that's, that's him and other people like him, but I, Kat Hayes has been important to me for this year and been good for me. Nice. Boldness looks like blank. You know, I just had this conversation with my daughter a couple of days ago. Uh, boldest is in the face of people who don't agree with you. So I'm, I'm going to sound almost counter to what I just said. <laughs> boldest is saying and standing up for what you think and what you believe when it's going to piss people off, when it's going to maybe somebody's going to walk out of your life. You should do it politely. You should be courteous about it. You shouldn't be an ass. But I, I do think that you we all should be better about saying, I'm just trying to avoid this confrontation. I'm going to let you believe the earth is flat, or I'm going to let you believe this. I'm not even going to get into it. You can think of all this shit I want to say right now that people believe. <laughs> and, it, and I think it's wrong for me to walk away from that conversation because they need to hear it. Even if they think I'm, even if they blow me off, mm-hmm. you should be bold enough to say, look, I, let me just say this politely. Do you, have you thought about this? You're wrong about that. Because when you, when all of the good people are silent and all the smart people are silent, the dummies dominate the room. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I, I, I do think that it's hard. 
it's hard for me. I don't, I, with my own kids, with my wife, with my friends, it's hard sometimes to say, look, I, I don't agree with you on this. Mm-hmm. And there's ways you can do it. I try, I'm trying, it's one of my, I think for this year is to do that, but in a way where people don't like punch me and it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. There you go. Nice. Okay. I stay curious by blank. You know, I, I was a journalism uh, major in college, undergrad, and I was a newspaper reporter. And uh, one of the reasons I, I like that is I, I have this ten- tendency to like, I'm the guy in the bar when you're sitting by yourself to just like start talking. Right. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and I found out over my career, you're my dad's worst fear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, when I, I travel all over the, and I, I, a lot of times I travel by myself with like a backpack and I'll be in some like pub in Scotland. And I'm, I'm always curious, like, I wonder what that guy's house looks like. So I was like, Hey, can yeah. you, and Hey, about what does your half, house look like? <laughs> about half the people. You are my dad's like, fair. <laughs> about half the people will be like, who the hell are you? And the other half of people, so many people just want to tell their own story. Yes, they so do. So many people just want to. Now, when when they say my house is like this and you respond, oh, let me tell you about my house. You've blown it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm really good at letting people talk. And so uh, I'm fascinated by the conversations I have sure. with people and the weird stuff that comes up. Just a couple of days ago, I got seated at a dinner here at Lubbock with the former governor's daughter. And, um, and she was just got seated at my table at a scholarship event and just talking to her about being, being raised as the daughter of a governor mm-hmm. and how, how that, and then I can go home and get on Reddit or Google and look stuff up and something someone says, about, Hey, here in Scotland, we all have these types of cats. Like, hey, that's interesting. And so I, people are curious to me mm-hmm. and, and, and everybody's got a story. And so let them tell it. And and then they make fun of them later, I guess. <laughs> Go okay. on a podcast and make fun of them. Um, I think I went to college with that former governor's daughter, by the way. Maybe so. I also I went think. to college with a former mm-hmm. governor's daughter. She got arrested. This 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 former governor's daughter is much, much older than both of you. So oh. uh, okay. <laughs> different governor. Ooh, then that governor? Yeah, okay. That one. Ah! <laughs> Uh, okay, good. I'm glad it wasn't the one I knew. I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so I go to work every day so that my neighbors can blank. They can bring their dog on their walk by my house, and their dog can go to the bathroom in my yard, and I can come home. <laughs> that, that's what that's what I feel like my neighbors do every day when I when I go to work. So um, nice. Uh, that's beautiful. I love that. There's that, a lot yeah, that, to unpack there. Yes. Um, okay, so what's something you're deeply grateful for? be cliche and talk about my family and I have a I have a wonderful family all the way up through my my parents and my brother and sister and my you know my wife and my kids you know what I'm going to say and and I really I've been thinking about this uh, from a conversation I had this morning Uh, I did my undergrad at Southwest Texas back in the early 90s in San Marcos back before it's Texas State yeah and I ran into a professor a guy named uh, Bruce Renfro Dr. Renfro who pulled me aside one day neither one of my parents went to college I didn't come, I came from a small town where people didn't really have professional careers. Mm-hmm. I didn't know much about what it even meant to go to school and go to college. And one of my professors pulled me aside, Bruce Renfro, and said, um, hey, have you ever thought about going to grad school? And I didn't even know what that meant. That's how stupid I was about all this. Because I didn't, I'm like, grad school, I'm going to graduate like next month with my undergrad degree. He's like, no, have you thought about getting your master's degree? He said, you ask questions that I think you're going to need to, you're going to need to go find how to like collect data and run stats and do this kind of thing. And so, um, you know, I, uh, I'm really grateful that I ended up in this, 
him telling me that and me following through and, and having the, the the guts and the courage with some yeah. with some family to say, you know what, I'm moving from Austin. By the time I'd moved to Austin, I'm going to move to Alabama of all things, which was crazy to me at the time, put through my stuff in a U-Haul and drove to Alabama. And, and it's now it's given me this life where I, every day I get to, I, I travel around the globe. I get to answer questions that I think are important. I get to do stuff like this. I'm just some small town guy from down around Del Rio. And the fact that I've seen the sun rising over the coast of Thailand is crazy to me. Mm. And so I'm, I'm so grateful that somebody somewhere mm-hmm. took that one second. I can tell you where we were walking. I was, he and yeah. I were smoking. Where's I would, I, he, I lit a cigarette and oh. we were smoking. And, uh, and I can remember, I could tell, I could go to that campus right now today and tell you where we were standing when he kind of turned to me and said, you ought to go to grad school. You talk about something that changed yeah. everything, everything for me, everything. Wow. Yeah. I couldn't do that because TCU tore down literally every building. I think that I spent any amount of time in and now it's beautiful. It was fine before, but anyways, that's amazing. I love that. That personal, that goes great into this. Our last and final question is the power that one person has to inspire mm-hmm. something in others and to create change. And, um, you know, I feel that change can be contagious and you never know what you might inspire in others. So what's the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? Uh, I'm gonna, I, I, I'm, I'm, that's a great question. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you a very weird, but very honest answer. <laughs> there's a, you may have heard this, but there's a Chinese, it's not a, I was going to say a proverb. It's more of a fable about this elephants walking through the forest and there's a hummingbird laying on its back with its feet in the air. Have you heard this before? No. And so uh, this elephant looks down and this hummingbird's got his feet up in the air. And the uh, the elephant says, what are you doing? And the hummingbird says, hey, I heard the sky's going to fall today. And um, the elephant busts out laughing, as only an elephant can do. I don't know how elephants laugh, but elephant laughs and says, what do you think you can do? Look at those little tiny legs and you're one little hummingbird and you're thinking you're going to stop the sky from falling. And that hummingbird said, that's all I can do myself. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm such a believer in all we can do is what we can do. And I talk to people about stuff like pollution or we, I do a little bit of research in just water quality. And people say, you know, what does it matter what I do? If I pour my motor oil in the damn ravine, China, nobody, there's not even any controls in China and their factories are polluting the air. And I say, I can't fix that. But I myself cannot pour my oil in the river. Mm-hmm. I can't fix the fact, yes, there's trash all over the highways. Yeah. But what I can do is I can do this. And if you don't do that, then not only are you not part of the solution, but you're the reason it's all this way. Yeah. So do, do the little thing, what you can do. And, and I don't, I'm not asking anybody, including myself, I can't save the world, but maybe I can save a little piece. And, you know, that's a... I'm not, I'm not a rage against the machine kind of guy. I, I, you know, I, I love rage against the machine, but mm-hmm. the, you know, I do feel like I can be, you know, if, there, if my band wasn't going to be rage against the machine, it could be like be an obstacle against the negative. Like that's not near as cool of a band, right? Like here comes Carlos and I'm being an obstacle against the negative. <laughs> like, <laughs> it doesn't flow yeah. off the tongue very yeah. easily. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's really, it, it really discourages me to talk to anybody who just says, man, it's a big problem. And what's it matter, my little, me turning off the faucet while I brush my teeth? You know what? You're right. It's going to save 
Yeah, you're not going to make or break the world. But guess what? All those little things add up. But the, and if you don't do it, then what the hell's the point of it, of any of it, right? All you yeah. can do is what you can do. And I feel like I can sleep better because of it. Yeah. And I, I talk to people all the time. Do what you can do. And if everybody does what they can do, it's got to, it, it may not help, but it damn sure can't hurt. Yep. Won't make it worse. It won't make it worse. Yeah. Help the hummingbird. Put your feet in the air. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't put your feet up on the desk. Just put them up in the air. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's got their. Yeah. Little, little twig feet. Well, that's a, a wonderful note to end on. And, you know, something that also resonates with us and just the power that each one of us as individuals has to make on our own little circle of influences. So I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. I'm sure it will not be the last time. And we have so much more to learn uh, from you and so much more to share with our community and listeners and water squad. So I, uh, I appreciate it. And thank you for your time. We are so grateful for each and every one of you, all the members of our listening community. The Water in Real Life podcast is a Rogue Water Lab original. It's hosted by the H2 duo. That's us, Stephanie Corso and Ariane Shipley. It's produced by Rogue Water Lab, 12 Midnight, and Matt Black Sound. Sound design and music by Andre Black and Matt McNeil of Matt Black Sound. For more Water in Real Life, check out our YouTube channel and sign up for our lab notes. You can find both at roguewaterlab.org.